0: Praise God. Making disciples even through Zumba. Huh? What a great thing that is. Well, it's been a day of celebration already. And, uh, and we also have had some sadness this week, as, as we know that yesterday we commemorated uh, 20 years since the events of 9-11. And many of you have heard uh, really touching stories about 9-11, uh, and, uh, and and they're things that remind us, that keep that memory, and that remind us who we are, and, and the courageous people, uh, the people who have grief, the people who stepped up, the people that made a difference. And one of those stories that uh, kind of caught my attention this week was the story of Joseph Pfeiffer. He was a New York Fire Department chief, and uh, and, and that morning, they, they were answering the call to what was potentially a gas leak in one of the buildings. And, and his younger brother, Kevin, was with him. And uh, when things began to unfold and they realized that something more serious than a gas leak uh, was taking place uh, and and that the Twin Towers had been attacked, and then Chief Joseph Pfeiffer sent his brother, Kevin, along with other firemen, to evacuate people from the towers. And and so he looked at him and Kevin looked back and he said, you need to go evacuate people. He took engine 33 and he left and remembers that moment because it was the last moment that he would ever see his brother again. He remembers the 24 hour uh, kind of grueling uh, shift that he served as there was dust everywhere and he was covered with this white, powder, and after 24 hours wanting to take a small break, he, he began to walk with every step there was a cloud of dust that would lift up. He, he sat in front of the Hudson River and thought, how could this be possible? He wondered where his brother Kevin was. He wondered where Engine 33 and the crew were. He, he wondered how many people had perished and how many people had been rescued and as he continues to ponder on that, he, he realizes the importance of courageous, prepared leadership in the moments of crisis. That, that when tragedies come, whether it's 9-11 or whether it's a pandemic or whether it's anything else, that there need to be people who are prepared, who who are equipped, who are willing to step up and to make a difference, who are willing to risk their own lives and and saved the lives of others. And we're so thankful for those first responders who did that on 9-11 20 years ago. And we're reminded that not only was there a fateful event on 9-11, but there was a fateful event way before that that brought about the kind of thing that terrorism is about. And that's when the enemy of God decided to attack humanity. And he he began to bring about destruction and lies and deceit. And God has been working from, from the very beginning to save lives, to redeem people. And he is calling people to the front lines of his kingdom. God is calling people to join him, to be equipped, to be trained, to be prepared, to be leaders in a spiritual battle to be willing, to be equipped and ready to put their lives on the line, to, to risk everything, to abandon everything for the sake of the call. That's what Jesus came to do. And the question that we must ask ourselves today is, is Christ calling me to be a frontline worker? Is Christ calling me to, to be equipped, to be trained, to be someone who, who's right there in the front line of the spiritual battle making a difference, risking it all with abandonment. Is God calling you? Has he called you? Have you answered the call? Jesus came and he called individuals when he was on earth to this mission of redemption. The call of these first four disciples is what we're going to look at today in the Gospel of Mark chapter one. And I hope that as we read this story that it will compel you to answer the call in your own life. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. This is how the Bible reads. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. These were the first disciples that Jesus invites to follow him. Right before this passage, Mark is telling us that Jesus had began his ministry by, by going into the Galilean region and proclaiming the good news of God, saying the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to introduce good news. He came to say, look, uh, evil doesn't win. Evil doesn't have the last word. There are good news of redemption. There is one who is victorious and his kingdom is coming. And you enter that kingdom by repenting and believing. And he invited people to enter into that kingdom life. But soon thereafter, he invited people to join his ministry team. Jesus did not come to do his ministry alone. He came to surround himself with others who will enter with him, to be prepared with him, to be trained by him for this call of ministry. And that's that's what's happening here. He's calling. He's recruiting a ministry team. Let me mention about three things about uh, this call here. The first one is a call to ordinary people. I call it ordinary people. I, this last Thursday was the, the official beginning of the NFL season. And some of you know that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and, and they, we did not win, OK? I know that. Don't remind me. We didn't win. But we played well. Amen. Thank you. Uh, and, and, uh, and the entire time, the commentators were talking primarily about two things. Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, and Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were just talking about the quarterbacks and and their qualities and and all of these things. And and, and it reminded me about not the season starter game, but about something that happens way in the spring that's called the NFL draft. People watch that because it's during that time that, that the best of players are sought. It is at that time that the best athletes in college are waiting for a call to be recruited into a team because team members matter. They talk about their skills, their their weight, their experience, their their ability so that they can be chosen for the right team. Now, when God sends his son to earth to draft his team, who will he choose first? What kind of skill set is he looking for? What kind of track record is Jesus looking for when he recruits his team? Well, it, it might be interesting to you to note that Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of, of religious life, the center of culture and education. That's, that's where the rabbis, uh, the best rabbis were and the best disciples were. That, that's where they went to get educated about the Bible and, and, and God's kingdom. But Jesus doesn't go to the best rabbis in Jerusalem to recruit disciples, he goes to the beach and he recruits fishermen. Ordinary people, the blue collar workers of the day, people who work with their hands to put food on the table, rugged, common folk, unassuming. That's who Jesus chose as his very first disciples. Ordinary people that's what Jesus continues to call everyday folk like you and me. People who have jobs, people with families, people with struggles, people with disappointments, people with a past, people with a hope. That's what Jesus calls. I've enjoyed this summer and at the beginning of this semester being part of something we're calling Man Church because it's a room full of men, sometimes 30, sometimes 50 or 60 but we're sitting around tables of four or five people. And around those tables, nobody's talking about uh, their, their, record, their sales record at work or their education or how much money they have in the bank. Everybody is like an ordinary guy just saying, look, I'm, I'm just a guy that's struggling, that wants to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. And That's the kind of people that Jesus was looking for. He's not looking for people who want to impress him with their pedigree. He's looking for people that want to be impressed by his power. People who who are humble and open to God's work in their lives. Some people say when an opportunity for leadership comes, people say, well, I'm not qualified for that. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary. I don't know as much Bible as so-and-so. I'm not very religious religious. I haven't been a Baptist very long. I haven't been a church member very long. And they find all kinds of reasons why they think they don't qualify. And I'm here to tell you today, listen, if God calls you, he knows what he's doing. If God calls you, it's because he wants you on board. He wants you to be part of his team. He wants to draft you into the best team ever. He can take fishermen and make them agents of the most high God. He could take ordinary people and make them extraordinary followers of Christ. Is God calling you? Have you answered the call? God calls ordinary people. Secondly, God calls to obedient partnership. He called Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. And he says this to them. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You've been doing everyday kind of stuff, and that's cool. But I'm calling you to do something bigger and greater. I'm calling you to join me to obedient partnership. It's a call to a bigger purpose. From the everyday life to the eternal domain, from from the daily grind to the divine grandeur. These men were not simply called to know more about God. They were called to make God known. And that's the call to us. A definition of discipleship that we've been using here at Calvary is a disciple is one who is learning to be like Jesus and to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus could do. In other words, it's about being and doing. Being like Jesus, doing like Jesus. It's about character and competence. The character of Jesus and the competence of Jesus. That means that when Jesus calls us, he wants to reproduce his character in us. He wants to reproduce his character in you to to become like him, to, to be like him. But he also wants to reproduce his competence in you. That means he wants you to do the things he did. He wants you to do the things that he would do if he were still here on earth. That's big. That's big. In fact, he said that we would do greater things than he did, John 14, 12. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. Wow, that's mind-blowing to me because I hope to know Jesus more. That's my hope, But, but, but Jesus wants more than that. He wants more than me knowing him more. He wants me to do the things that he did and even greater things. Do you believe that? Can you believe that God is calling you and me to do greater things than he did? That's wild, isn't it? That's a huge calling. But that's what he's calling us to do. He says, I'm going to the Father. That means Jesus knew when he was here on earth that his ministry was brief, and he was calling people to continue that ministry for generations, to be obedient partners. The call to follow Jesus is a call to obedience. The call to join the Jesus movement is a call to obedience. The call to be partners in the mission of God is a call to obedience. Simon and Andrew, when they were called, respond here in verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. They didn't waste any time. They didn't cling on to their possessions or their means. Jesus called them and they answered immediately. They said yes. And James and John do the same thing. Verse 20. Without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired man and followed him. That's even more astounding. Uh, Peter, uh, Simon and Andrew left their boat and their nets but John and James left their dad and his business with the hired Now that's radical obedience. And they followed him. And you know that kind of radical, radical obedience comes from those who are eager for God. It comes from those who are hungry for God. These four might have been ordinary fishermen, but there was a hunger in their lives. Jesus is looking for hungry people. He said so in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are people who are ready, people who are eager, people who are ready to follow, ready to obey. That, that's the kind of people that when Jesus calls them, they say yes, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to give excuse because there's been a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in their lives. And so when Jesus calls up, they say, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. Yes, I will go with you. Yes, I will follow you. I like the way that Matt Moore uh, paraphrases the Beatitudes in his song, All the People Said Amen. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit who are torn apart. Blessed are the persecuted and the pure in heart. Blessed are the people hungry for another start. For this is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, Christ doesn't call all of us to leave our jobs. I know that some of us get worried about this leaving your nets and your boat. He doesn't call all of us to leave our, he calls some of us to leave our professions and go into full-time ministry. Today, we're gonna have, hopefully, the opportunity to affirm two young men from our church, Eli Garza and Ronald Sanchez, uh, and and to say to them, as they follow God into full-time ministry, to say, we we see God's call in your life. We affirm that. Uh, Ronald is in Peru today uh, doing ministry there, saying yes uh, to the Lord Jesus in his call. But God calls other people to follow him without leaving their profession. He calls people to to be obedient to him, staying in their career. There's a dear family in our church who who we love and who are obedient uh, to God's call in their lives, uh, Paul and Monica. And uh, Monica, uh, her brother, uh, here from McAllen, uh, passed away recently, Javier Moises Campos. He was an MD serving in Kerville most recently, 46 years old, too young to go. But as I was reading his obituary, I, I, was, I, I was really touched by his life. Part of, part of it says, always putting people first, Javier pursued medicine to care for others. He planted seeds of the gospel on six continents, using the talents God gave him. Above all, Javier loved the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he freely shared with those around him. While some may see being a physician as a career, to Javier it was more. It was a sincere calling and a ministry, a way that he could serve man and serve God. He served, he lived a short life, but he understood the call. Sometimes God calls people to leave their jobs. Sometimes people calls people to minister through their jobs, but God calls all of us to be obedient to the call. And then thirdly, we see here a call to optimal preparation. The purpose that God was calling these for was greater than they ever knew. And so then the preparation had to be deep and intense, optimal. It was necessary because Jesus's time on earth was short. Simon Andrew, James, and John did not know this perhaps at the beginning, but, but when Jesus is calling them, when Jesus is there by the Sea of Galilee and they're leaving their nets, Jesus is probably thinking, I got three years to turn these rugged fishermen into apostles. That must have been a daunting task. But Jesus was aware of the brevity of time that he had. And so he had to, to be intense, he had to be focused. This, this four would become part of, of the greater crowd of disciples that Luke tells us about. They would become part of the 12, yes, but they were even a closer inner circle of Jesus. Particularly Simon, James, and John received teaching and preparation that the rest of the 12 did not. When Jesus went into the home of a synagogue leader whose daughter was sick unto death, The Bible says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When Jesus goes up to the mountain and and Moses and Elijah appear and Jesus takes on this glorious form, Mark tells us after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain and they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Even toward the end of his ministry, they had these opportunities to have particular teaching that the 12 were not a part of. Mark 13, 3 says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. They they had access to the rabbi that the 12 did not have. And then the very night before his crucifixion, these very four who he had called at the beginning, these first disciples are the ones that he takes with him. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Yes, these first disciples were there when the big crowd of disciples was gathered. They were there when the 12 were receiving special training. But they were even there in more intense and focused times that the Lord spent, on them, invested in them, to equip them, to train them so that they could guide others, so they can be leaders of others. And here at Calvary, we're talking about a strategy and we want you to be, uh, we want you to answer the call of Jesus in your life. We're talking about gospel and guide uh, and, and these parts of the great commission, how we share the gospel and we guide others to become disciples. And we're inviting you to be a part of the process to gather, to grow, and to go. We, we gather as a people. Right now we're gathered here for worship, for encouragement, for fellowship, for God's word. But then we want to be part of, of grow groups, groups that that will uh, be a community to us, very much like the 12 were. Sometimes we've called them ABFs or we've called them home fellowships or or Sunday school classes, we call them grow groups because that's a place where, where we can grow as disciples, we can grow in community. It's an ongoing group. It's a group that is open to others. Sometimes there's 12, 15, 20, 30 people. I hope that you'll be a part of a grow group. But we also have guide groups. Guide groups are, are short-term groups. They're groups that, that focus on, a, on an area that prepare us to be leaders at home or leaders in our community or leaders in the church. They're, they're part of men's ministry and, and women's ministry. They're, they're, they're part of our young adult ministry. They're, they're huddles, they're, they're times and seasons of training that help us to be equipped so that we can be leaders, so that we can guide others. And I hope that you consider this season being a part of that. Jesus calls us to follow him if we're willing. He calls us to join him in his mission. He calls us to be equipped so that we can guide others. That's the way he called these four. Have you answered the call? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you said yes, wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever he asks of me, I'll do. In our grow group that meets in a home, a couple of Sundays ago, it, it met in my home. And as we were talking about Romans 12, 19 and 20, where it talks about, you know, the Lord taking vengeance and us practicing forgiveness and loving our enemies, we were struggling with this passage. And as, as we were talking about it, one, one of our group members, he's a veteran of, of Afghanistan, and he was telling us how, how difficult that time was for him. And, and how much he left over there of himself and how he changes his life even today and how difficult it has been to watch what's going on right now. And it's heartbreaking because of how much it cost him. And then he talked about his son. His son is one who spends a lot of time making friends with Muslims so that he can share the love of Jesus with them. And this dad who served in our military fighting terrorism is a dad who rejoices that his son loves Muslims and he prays for his son and gives to that ministry. That's the difference that Jesus makes. That's the kind of God we serve who allows us to do that kind of a thing who allows us to love our enemy, to love those who are different, to love those whom he died for. Will you answer his call to be a part of this? Will you answer God's call to be an obedient follower? Will you say yes? I want you to be my my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my, my teacher, my master. Will you answer the call today? To help others become followers. To be a guide to others. Like, Like we saw today in the Baptist tree. Will you answer the call to be equipped as a leader at home and beyond? What is God calling you to do today? And how are you going to answer? Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus and his call in our lives. He calls ordinary people to do incredible things, supernatural things that change hearts, change families, change the world. So, Father, I pray that today, as you have called some of us and we've said yes, that you affirm that call that you encourage us in that commitment to continue to give of ourselves, to spend ourselves for the cause. And God, for those who you're calling and haven't said yes yet, they haven't made you king and lord of their lives yet. They've been watching from a distance, they've been coming to church, they sing the songs, they hear the preaching, but they've not made a commitment. And today you're calling them to say yes, I will follow you. Father, allow your spirit to give them that faith. For those that need to be encouraged to to be leaders right now, you call them to be leaders at home, to be leaders in their school, to be leaders in their neighborhood, to be leaders of a group. Help them to say yes right now. as you continue to pray and as you continue to answer God's call, we'll sing and you say yes.